0: uh, Yeah, unless he his wings kind of cause him to go (whistles) bombs away. All right, all right. Experience what that looks like or feels like. uh, Outside, we have been looking at the assembly specifically the Christian Assembly and uh, we you know we've reviewed some things and see oh this is note taking paper here Um, part three I guess we finished at part three a before because (laughs) We didn't finish part three. We started a number of weeks back with um, the Old Testament and the beginning of assembly and the feasts and assembling to God three times in the year. Shall the meals? The meals. The the meal. Yes. We've just had one. The males appear before me, and then we we looked at um, Christian assembly in Acts chapter twenty, right? And uh, examined the various elements and. Some, you know, different things that um, they were there to break bread, and the message came before breaking of bread, and um, and so on. It's the first day of the week, and and so we looked at uh, those things. Some components. Um, we spent a bit of time looking at uh, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, you know, head covering and the Lord's Supper, and and so on. We looked in Matthew's Gospel and we saw some hymn singing and um, self-examination that went with the Lord's Supper. So we're looking at things that um, happened there. And then we, the following session, we looked at the the Exodus again. We spent a bit of time in the Old Testament, rightly dividing the word of truth. What happened on Sinai when they were at that first assembly and the reverence was one of the things we looked at. Um, We're just reminding ourselves, right? So we just, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, There were clear instructions, there were boundaries, there were sanctified people. And that was a big thing. Um, I'm trying to bring my um, practice into alignment with that. You know, it's like Saturday can sneak up on you. Again, we came in and we had a dinner together and so on. And uh, so I was late going to bed. Later than I needed to be, yes. And to, to get into this habit of mind, of conscious preparation the day before. This is where the Jews, you know, have a benefit. They, they have the Sabbath, and they have the preparation of the Sabbath. And it's a routine. And um, yes, many are just religious people and, and so on. That's not the point. The point is, it's these things are good and right. Um, and so we had looked at those things, and because what we're trying to, to rediscover, without reinventing the wheel, we don't want to just do tradition for tradition's sake. Not all traditions are correct, because if they are, then what do you do with all these contradictory traditions? Um, who was it that was saying, was it Brother Dave, uh, who's gone now, uh, for some other engagement? Uh, Communion. Some have it uh, once a year, twice a year. Some have it once a month. Some have it every week. And some have it just whenever, at random. I think we'll have communion this time. So um, those kinds of things. Does it matter? Does the Spirit of God have a specific thing in mind for the church? And what is that? So we want to search the Scriptures and see what is the nature of assembly, the assembling of God's people. And it has its precedent in the Old Testament. So we looked at some of the things that happened in the New Testament. And what we saw in the Old Testament as well is that there were um, clearly prescribed things. That Moses didn't just make it up, God had spoken about it. And what has He spoken His word for us today? We want to search it out. So we noticed what uh, some of the characteristics, most significant thing about the assembling of God's people. This is a hard, you know, when you say the most significant thing, because we could think of several, they'd be right. What would we think? Um, we have that chorus we like to sing based on Scripture. We're gathering together unto Him. So God's people are gathered together. What's the most important thing? What would we think? So I'll, let me put it in a way you can't get it wrong. What do you think is the most important thing? So? About this. Yes. What's it? Okay, so that's what you think. Great. Nathan? That's what I think, too. The presence of God. It's the most important thing. It's God being there. Um, Where that can be disputed is the manifest presence of God. Because God can be there and indeed, he's not far from any one of us. And The Jews believed, based on the scripture, that God was present at all the temple services. But he wasn't manifest. That's the trouble. And so in a Christian assembly, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. It is a promise. So that's true. But we want to be in a state of heart and faith that... He can reveal and manifest Himself. He does that through the Word, so you're not wrong, um, amongst other things. The presence of God. and uh, One of the things we observed in the Old Testament was that although Moses had the presence of God wherever he went, there was a uniqueness, and it was extra special when all the people were there, and so there is a a unique manifestation of the presence of God when the people are all together. So we looked at some of those things. And last time we looked at uh, three category or main activities. The Lord's Supper, worship, praise and worship, and the Word of God. That was the three activities. The key feature is the presence of Christ. And we began to look at the word, the ministry of the word. And we stopped short of examining spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14. I think we looked at the situation where Jehoshaphat was praying and then the uh, prophet prophesied. Didn't we look at that in, uh, it in Chronicles? Or I think it was 2 Chronicles we examine that where Jehoshaphat laid out? Let's refresh our memory. I thought that we had looked at that and we were right up until 1 Corinthians. thought that's what had happened. No? Yeah, any of us remember where we were at there? It's been a while. I thought that's where we were at. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Sorry, yes, chapter 20. I thought is where we had finished off last time. And uh, children of Moab. And Jehoshaphat has this somewhat imprec- imprecatory prayer. Lord, remember what we, you did for them and, and how they're repaying us evil. Uh, verse 12, O God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. I'm sure we read that passage because I would have made significance about the wives and the little ones, right? And their children. There was no children's church. Not even a nursery. Everyone was there in the presence. These are things to to consider, right? I know why these things happen because we've been negligent in our child training and the Everyone's a hollering and a hooting, and it's boring for the children, and, and so on. But I don't find that anywhere in the Word of God. This idea that children need to have it dumbed down and cartoons and activities and crafts, and I you know, loved your jack-o'-lantern craft, right, to, to, to teach about Christ. It's not what you think, right? Halloween, and they're doing a jack-o'-lantern, but it was all about Jesus is the light of the world. or something ridiculous, yeah? Yeah, and it just looked like a jack-o'-lantern in Halloween, but... Um, all of these things and children's talks and gather and all feel good stuff and it's all lovely. It's not wrong to do, but is it part of the assembly? That's the thing. And it seems every time those details are mentioned, everybody was together. The children were there, wives, everyone was gathered. It was either all the men or everybody, wives and little ones. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zachariah, Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he prophesied. He said, hearken all ye Judah. So think about that. This is an Old Testament church meeting. And they're all gathered together with reverence and they pray and God answers right there. There's a uh, prophecy. That he didn't just make it up and, and it, it came to pass, as was said. So that was beautiful. Uh, we, we saw some examples of that. And then we looked at some New Testament ones. Uh, Agabus, right? Um, when they were gathered together and Agabus uh, came, uh, thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle. We did, I think, look at, uh, at Agabus' ministry, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And uh, we looked at Cornelius' band, where they were all gathered together in expectation. Now here we gather together in the presence of God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. We saw that. Before that, we looked in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Ghost was outpoured and they all spoke with tongues. Um, John 13 to 16, there was intimacy and teaching. We didn't look at that because we're out of time. There was intimate fellowship. So we had the Lord's Supper and then the Lord Jesus teaching them. Revelation. And so pictures coming together of um, the kinds of things That should be in the assembly. And still to come are uh, things like, you know, what would an order of service look like? Is there one? Is there not one? Content and conduct. When? How long? So that is one thing to look at more. And And the last one would be other types of assembly. Uh, for example, uh, the church discipline situation that the Lord talked about what to do if your brother sins, so tell it to the church. That would mean the church would have to be gathered together. It would be abysmal to try and go around one, 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 and then get that communication. That would be just, so that, that would be an assembly for judgment. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the assembling to meet with God and, um, but those are those are still to come. So here we are, and we're examining. the three activities in the assembly: the Lord's Supper, praise and worship, um, which I'm would include prayer in that. Because praise can be in song, it can be in prayer. Worship can be in song, it can be in prayer. Intercession, you could argue whether that's worship or not. So you could tack that in. But so this communication with God, really. So, The Lord's Supper, communication with God, and then the ministry of the Word of God. Those are the three activities that we're seeing. Whatever happens, it's one of those three things. <clears throat> and so... We, um, just from our minds, we can see the Lord Jesus. John's lying on his bosom. They're having fellowship. He's teaching them. I'm going to go away. It's necessary for you. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll do this. So there's a lot of teaching about the Christian life there in the context of communion. So uh, when we're actually partaking of the bread and the wine, we should be remembering the Lord. Our prayers, our thoughts, our songs, but the overall service there. The other topics mentioned, the Lord talked about that. Where we're at today then, this afternoon, is to look at Paul's instruction for the operation of spiritual gifts in the assembly. And you could argue, well, it's a bit moot. You know that, everyone familiar with that word? It's a strange word, M-O-O-T, moot. And basically, um, I suppose I should have refreshed myself by looking at a uh, dictionary definition, but it's basically, it's all academic. We can discuss it, but it doesn't have, um... it's like discussing whether someone was innocent or guilty, and they've been executed for their crime. It's kind of a moot discussion because he's already been punished and put to death, You know, so it's a moot, moot situation. And that's a, not a really good example, but... Uh... It's that kind of thing. It's moot because even if we get the right answer, it doesn't matter because, you know, we've moved on or the outcome and so on. In our context, we don't have what um, uh, in a Baptist church they might call the sign gifts in operation among us as a common thing. We don't have um, people speaking with tongues by the Holy Spirit. We don't have... um, the kind of prophecy that Paul is talking about or writing about. We don't have those things. We don't... So, the, you know, you could say, well, why study it? Well, I think one, to know clearly what they are and two, what to seek for and, and how they function because this is part of a Christian assembly. We could also ask ourselves, is, uh, is it necessary? Must we have those things? So... It's certainly profitable for us to to look at that. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 would be our our text. Our passage. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts But rather that ye may prophesy. Now, this is on the heels of chapter 12, verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. All right, now, more excellent way, not a more excellent thing. So. you want to minister spiritual gifts? Here's how to do it. love. Love isn't trying to show off. love isn't trying to compete. love isn't putting someone else down. Love is trying to edify. and we get this glorious, poetically expressed expression of what love looks like. and he that's chapter thirteen is kind of... Just put in there in between chapter 12 and 14, which is talking about spiritual gifts. So covet earnestly the best gifts, not so that you can be known as the most spiritual person, but so that you can be as edifying as possible to the church. Now just think, um, and this is this hard thing to, to wrap our heads around sometime. When the apostle speaks like this, he's speaking kindly, graciously, gently, covet earnestly, follow after charity, and desire spiritual gifts. Are these humble suggestions or are these commandments? commandments. The commandments. So we are commanded to covet. Earnestly the best gifts. We are commanded to desire spiritual gifts and we're commanded to desire to prophesy. So start there. Now you're not commanded to prophesy because we don't want you making it up, right? We don't want to make things up. But is that a... So let's examine yourself and don't answer this question to me. Is that a commandment you obey? Ask yourself that. Do I obey this commandment? Do you desire the best gifts? Do you desire to prophesy so that you might um, edify the church? Where is that verse? Um, For... For as much, yes, verse 12, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Now, Paul was writing to a church that was zealous of spiritual gifts and that was fluent in spiritual gifts. But does any of this that was written to the Corinthians at that time, does it apply to us? Or is it only for those that are interested in spiritual gifts? Should every Christian be pursuing spiritual gifts so that they can edify the church? This is challenging, very challenging, because um, in the assembly, most of the spiritual gifts are speaking gifts, which means you are coveting to speak, which a lot of us are actually trying to avoid doing in church. So many of us are actually, in our hearts, working against this commandment without realizing it, without thinking about it. And I say those things not to make anybody, like we're all human beings. We all start out, we're all sinners. We all start out completely contrary to God. That's just, I mean, am I wrong with that? Sinners, I was once a sinner saved by grace. Oh, no, that's, I'm jumping the verse. I shouldn't do that. I butcher, butcher these songs. Anyway, I provide some amusement. Um, but that, that is, I think, the second verse, isn't it? Saved by grace. Something? No? First one or two, yeah. I was a sinner. Saved by grace. And um, we all start out wrong. Carnal, the carnal mind is enmity against God. But Moses started this. Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. Now, the comforting thing is that we are commanded not to make anything up. Woe to those that prophesy of their own spirit and say, Thus saith the Lord. So, whew, dodge that bullet. I don't have to make anything up. Good. But I'm supposed to be earnestly seeking the Lord for a word of prophecy to edify his church, to build. One of the bricks, it's not the only one, but one of the bricks that we lay in the building of the church of God is the word of God. Elsewhere, there's another commandment. Paul writes to the Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You can admonish one another. By the way, admonishing is not what people think. Right? Admonishing is not rebuking. Okay, so admonishing is before someone has acted. Admonishing is to remind someone and to put them in in, in mind of their duty. So admonish is what you do to remind someone to do their duty. And it can be, and really should be, just entirely positive. There's no rebuke necessary in an admonition. Remember, right? You're going to go and deal with the situation. Remember to lean on the Lord, brother. That's an admonition. It's totally positive. It's expressed with a sympathy and an acknowledgement that we're the same. We need the Lord to move. And if we don't have him, we'll botch it, right? It's completely sympathetic. That's admonition. Remember to lean on the Lord. That would be an admonition. Rebuke would be, you didn't lean on the Lord. Uh, you did something wrong. So these are two different things. Admonition comes before and um, rebuke comes afterwards. And then a reproof is to explain how what you did was not leaning on the Lord, why it was wrong. Right? So a reproof comes, reproof is rebuke with explanation. So they're different things. They're not the same things. So... Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly admonishing one another, teaching one another. It's all positive there, building. And uh, <clears throat> there's actually a lot less rebuking in the New Testament than people realize. Um, people that love rebuke and all of that have an Old Testament religion. But uh, no doubt they would love to rebuke me for saying that. <laughs> you search it out. It's, it's true. The Lord has to rebuke us. We often do it, but we don't have to rebuke one another. We admonish one another. For the most part, it's not ruled out entirely, and ministers are charged with the duty to rebuke. Covet earnestly the best gifts. And that's step one, I would say, and desire. So let's uh, let's read the passage and then let us try and gain some understanding of what these things are we can discuss them Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts but rather that ye may prophesy for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God for no man understandeth him howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except, ye interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Now brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, accept ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Um, therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a bar- barbarian unto me. Even so, ye... For as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit, in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Now, I'm not going to carry on there. Um, all right, we'll carry on. It's only a couple of verses till we get to where we want. And the Lord has written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If, therefore, the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so, falling down on his face, he will, report, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren? When you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. And let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his place, excuse me, hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Uh, What came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. And If any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So the apostle is setting order in the church and well, in the assembly and the whole church become together in one place. And that's what we're trying to extract. We're not going to now delve into an in-depth study on the nature of spiritual gifts because, uh, well, that's something we want to seek for. But really, we could just simply say it's spirit-inspired speaking. And it's most often you're conscious of it. You're conscious that the Holy Ghost is giving revelation. That's really what it, uh, what it is. Uh, Earlier, I think in chapter 12, he lays out a a number of spiritual gifts. And that is for another time because we're not looking at that. What we're looking at is um, the word of God coming through every member and what it will, how we uh, organize that in, uh, in the assembling of God's people. Our assignment now. Studying the scripture, we've read the passage, and you can delve back to chapter 12 as well. Is to um, pick out and put together uh, what this would look like in an assembly. Studying the assembly, what would have been the practice of the Corinthians, and what is the practice of? that Paul is trying to lead them to. What would their church meeting look like if they did what Paul wrote? You came in as a visitor to the Corinthian assembly and they are now practicing what Paul wrote. What will that church meeting look like? That's our assignment. Pick that up. All right, so why don't we... uh, you up into two groups, small company like this, and put our heads together and search the scriptures together on that. Take some time. Could take 15 minutes and look at that. Right? We don't have to know what their church practice looked like that was disorderly what we want to end up... I mean, it's good to know, but the most important part, we did say, you know, what were they doing? What should they be doing? But let's, however we get there, come up with as best a picture as we can what the Corinthian church meeting would look like if they obeyed Paul's instruction here. Would you agree that if we can do that, that means we understand it? And if we can't do that, it means we still don't fully If I give you instructions, hey, brother, on how to build a shed, the proof that you understand those instructions is that the shed looks like what I said. Or at least you could describe the shed. Yeah, this is what I want the outcome, right? But if I've, if I've written my instructions so poorly or you've misunderstood them, that, you know, we end up with metal siding and wood on the roof and, you know, board and batten roof and metal siding... Somewhere there's been a loss in the communication, eh, brother? So um, let's try and come up with a picture of what this church service would look like if the Corinthians obeyed Paul. How are we going to organize our teams here? We've got one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Oh, we've got to the back. Okay, so Hannah and back, do you want to join there? And then Dave, do you want to take your family that way? And then we can split this family here and go that way. All right? And everyone put their heads together and read the Bibles and see if what we can come up with. What, does this, what are we going to walk into if we walked into an orderly Corinthian meeting? that was done as the Apostle said it should be. All right. Well, our time that we have arbitrarily chosen to allot is, you know, a little, little past, so we should, we should bring this study to a close for this, this afternoon. I hope we found this a good exercise, and I hope it has illuminated us a little more. Um, what we're wanting to do uh, till we all come in the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ so that's growth growth in understanding growth in practice and so we're, we're wanting to pursue a course of New Testament Christianity in all of its fullness so we have a few questions what did their service look like before Paul wrote this correction what should it have looked like or what did it look like after his correction and then you could add in some exceptional circumstances I think Deborah went into Acts and when they all lift up their voice at the same time everyone know, see saying were they all praying the same thing or was it one person and they I, mean, I think that would be exceptional uh, where'd your chief speaker go? like he's gone? for real? Wow! <laughs> oh, we'll have to we'll have to needle him on that one. All right. Well, so uh, who who's going to be the spokesperson in his absence, there, on behalf of your group? Uh, I think we're you know at this point she doesn't want to be speaking publicly and. On that, she's gonna want to pull this silence card as a sister. So, one of you brothers want to bail her out of that, Sister Susie? I don't think you're batting for this one either, right? No, you can give it to. That's right. You hand it over to Brother Dave, and or your husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so these are some things, right? Everyone. Participate. That was happening in both before and after. Everyone participates. That's very good. Um, let's, start, let's park there for a moment. This is like a scenic tour. Everyone participates. Are we, I mean, how are we doing at that? You know, is that something, is that a challenge we'd all take personally? Not in a pressure, I've got to say something every meeting. But that the general course of a meeting should be that um, I'm coming to meeting looking not only to receive but to give. Edify, and not only to worship the Lord in my heart but to edify the brethren who hear my voice. Is that is that something? So everyone participates. Okay. And of course everyone's entitled I suppose to claim to be that one exception and if we have so many of those people we're into a Quaker meeting they would sit in silence brother okay women cover heads okay what about preaching okay <laughs> Next. Uh, would be like two or three. Okay, so that's something to try and explain. Tongues. Two or three. Yes, and you've got four, you said? Uh, one person at a time in church. Okay. Thank you. All right. What, um, so what we've got, everyone participates. One, two, women um, pray and prophesy with their heads covered. Three, any tongue speaking is done two or three. And four, one person at a time speaking in church. What do we have over here? You had everyone participate and one person at a time. You had that as well. Okay. And we had that, um, the big emphasis in all of this is that the whole purpose of spiritual gifts is that the would be edified. Emphasis. So the emphasis of all of this is that the church would be edified. Okay, so the emphasis of spiritual gifts is that the church be edified, and that that won't happen if we're all speaking at the same time. Uh, And keeping that emphasis in mind, that it's all about edifying the church, explains a whole lot of the practical instruction. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's good. Right. Okay. So the the point there is that because we're trying to be edifying, um, the solution to speaking with tongues all at once, is not zipping it and being quiet. It's praying for interpretation so that tongues can be an edifying influence in the church, right? That's, a, that's why you to pray to interpret. It's because you're trying to edify. So, this is important. Order isn't the end goal. Edification is the end goal. Order is a necessary means to the end goal. So, no tongues is orderly but let's carry that further. No speaking is orderly. But it's not edifying. So the solution to the, diso- the, the lack of edification of everyone jabbering in, in tongues at the same time is not to stop the tongues, it's to regulate it sequentially and have interpretation so that everyone may be edified. So that's a really good point. The most, where is the most orderly place in all of our society, all of Canada, what is the most orderly place you can go to? It's consistent in every town. The most orderly conduct. The cemetery, where everybody is dead. There is no bad behavior by any of the residents. All of the residents maintain perfect order all the time. Not a Word spoken wrong, not a deed spoken wrong. Nothing. It's perfect order in the, all the residents in the cemetery. There is a problem, though, and that is there is no life. So we can have perfect order and complete spiritual death in a service, and we don't want that. Um, and that's I mean, parents, that's what you're trying to do with your little one is just establish order. You're not trying to stop him moving, you're just trying to stop him poking your eye, pulling your hair, and throwing his food on the floor. Just order. Right? Little babies, right? Parents with little babies, you know. Pull hair, bite. Take bowl, dump on floor, right? That's, um, and that's what Paul was doing here. He was dealing with a spiritual nursery. Is that it? That was the conclusion? That's all we have here. It's good, good. Uh, these are things to take away and to seek the Lord concerning. The two or three, and uh, so uh, Matthew and his storm raise the question how does only two or three prophesying line up with ye all may prophesy? So and there's a few, few things to think about, and this is where, brethren, so studying the scripture is hard work. Um. And we, but we want to do it. Search the script. So we want to search the scriptures, and we want to not be hasty in our conclusions. Sometime we're going to be slow. We're going to consider. It can be over hours, days, weeks, um, as the case might be. Uh, we might consult others. So, <clears throat> ye all may prophesy one by one. Is the point that in every church service everybody may prophesy, or is the point? Whoever prophesies, it needs to be one by one. So they can say, and so it's three, but it's one by one. And next week it's a different three. Well, that kind of fits, but it kind of doesn't. Because, he said, if one come in and all prophesy, if they come in one unbelieving and unlearned and all prophesy, he's judged of all, convinced of all. But does that mean every single person prophesies? These are questions that we don't want to be hasty to answer, but we should think about. We should search the scripture. Where does the idea of all the Lord's people prophesying first occur in your Bible? Yeah. Eldad and Medad in the camp. The 70 elders. Two of them remained in the camp. That was only 70. Did they all prophesy one by one or at the same time? It's actually at the same time. So you see where the Corinthians could have had a case for it. What was really going on? And the Lord said, would, I mean Moses said rather, would that all the Lord's people were prophets. So, what does he mean by two or three? And is this timeless? This bears further study. And I'm not going to give you my answer right now. I'm going to leave us to tease and to go and read and to think about it. And this is good for us. We can talk about it. What does this mean? Does it mean only two or three? Or does it mean each individual prophet may only prophesy two or three times in a meeting? And then it's someone else's turn. Those are two different interpretations, right? Um, And so it all bears consideration. Currently, that's a bit moot because really none of us are prophesying that we know. you might. Uh, the Lord might put something that inspires you to say without you realizing it, that's just what that brother needs. But for the most part, the kind of prophecy that's talked about here is not something that's common in our meeting. Uh, and should we be asking the Lord to bring those things forth? One step in that direction, I believe, is for us all to be earnestly seeking the Lord before meeting. Being prepared and coveting to to edify, right? We can, um, we can move forward. Praise—that's prophecy. Uh, my soul doth magnify the Lord. That was an inspired; it was a prophetic praise. My spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Saviour. You don't have to be uh, you prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Do you have faith to prophesy what's going to happen economically? I don't mean you just have a strong opinion. No, so don't try. But could the Spirit of God cause you to um, uh, erupt in rapturous, testimonial praise to God? That's more within reach. So let us seek the Lord to, uh, to grow. And, uh, and let us not be too proud to take baby steps. You can simply say, Lord, I love you. That's a start and let us, um, let us focus on glorifying God and edifying the church, not worrying about how spiritual we look. Wasn't that part of the Corinthians problem? Competing, trying to show off. And isn't that part of being worried about how you look? Isn't showing off being worried about how you look? Not worried, but you're trying to and so being worried that I won't be looked up to is still in the same family of showing off. A painful irony in that refusing to say something because I'm worried about what people think of me is a brother or a sister to the show off. Yes, brother. Chapter 14, verse 3. He that prophesieth speaketh unto men, um, edification, exhortation, and comfort. This reminds me of the shell of a crab. Answer, you know. Um, I'll tell you about that one later. I, I think. Like, what part do you have a question about? Well, you're speaking about yes. And it seems like that's the definition of... Oh well, this is the result. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. Isaiah was a prophet. Comfort ye my people, saith your God. So the element of prophecy is that it is spirit-inspired speech. And the result of that prophecy will be that people are comforted or um, edified or exhorted. You can look at the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They, Thus saith the Lord. And you could see it could have been a comforting word. It could be an exhorting word. And so I would expect that, that the Spirit of God moving on someone, um, when I say moving, I don't mean he loses control, but giving this clear utterance, what comes forth would be um, edifying, so you built up in your faith, um, or exhort, exhortation, you're motivated in your action, or comforted, you're, you're filled with hope and expectation. That's the result of the prophecy. Yet, I would hope a teacher could accomplish that as well. Because the end goal of all speaking in church is edification, building up the body of Christ. Did I adequately answer that question? I see. So um, I, I, I would say that it's possible, but not necessarily the case, because teaching is not prophesying, and teaching can be short. Testifying is not prophesying, not normally. So they're different things, but they can all be of the Spirit of God. So how do you decide that? Like it says here, it it says and and comfort. Okay. Well, the way I would understand it, I understand these things to all have their Old Testament precedent. You had the prophet. Elijah was a prophet. Um, You know, Isaiah, he was a writing prophet. Daniel, he dreamed dreams and so on. But the priests, and some priests were prophets, but the priests were teachers. The priests took the law, the Bible, they expounded it, they read the law, and they taught what it meant. the people... And that was the word of God. And that was of God. So that's teaching. It's premeditated. It's um, with the understanding. But it's still of God. Whereas the prophet, it was by revelation. The, the content of the message did not come as a result of laborious study. It came as a result of immediate revelation by the spirit. It's entirely supernatural in its method of communicating to the prophet. So the, the knowledge that a teacher acquires and imparts is through ordinary means of careful study and thought. And the means by which a prophet acquires his message is by revelation. And one is a natural means and the other is a supernatural means. Both of them are supposed to be done under the influence of the Spirit of God. And so that's how I would see that distinction in the New Testament. So brother who is laboring in the word and rightly dividing it and um, outlining the doctrine of it and preaching it, he's supposed to do that in reliance upon God and be under the anointing, as we all are in everything, whereas the prophet would have a revelation that would be on par with a vision or a dream or something that's the same mechanism. It's not something he sat down and thought about. It's something that God supernaturally revealed to him. And, uh, and he talks about revelation there in, uh, in, uh, well, in, chapter, in verse 2. In the spirit he speaketh mysteries, right? And if something be revealed. So the, the distinction between teaching and prophecy is not necessarily the content, but the method, the mechanism, how it works. Right? So a word of knowledge um, it can be simply a fact that a person did not know and could not know, but has been revealed by the Spirit. So the Lord Jesus manifested all of these gifts, right? Um, you could argue about whether it was tongues on the cross, Eloi or Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Was that tongues? Was that a dialect? And, and I don't want to get involved in all of that. Did he pray? I don't know. Can't, but the Lord prophesied, right? Um, he, he uh, Matthew 24 he prophesied That wasn't a result of study and interpreting. One stone shall not be left upon another. Right? So that wasn't something that was um, laid out in scripture. That was by revelation. Um, when Jesus knew their hearts, you know, so he had a word of knowledge. Those kinds of things. So there are different spiritual gifts all manifested in the life of the Lord Jesus. He would teach. He opened his mouth and he taught them. These are things he had thought before and meditated on. Okay, well, let's, uh, is that something we should be, is, should I keep going on that to try and hammer it out all together, or should we just discuss it privately? What's that? I mean, I don't, well, what I discovered as a teacher is quite often one person was asking for ten And everyone's rooting for that one person because, yeah, I want to know this too. And thanks for being the guy to ask. So there's that element. We could take another few minutes on it. Um, So what I've tried to to explain is that teaching and prophesying are not the same. And that there can be very similar content. But the way it uh, arrives in the speaker is different. But it should all be of God. Um,
1: so, how verse 1 relate to verse 2? Like so
0: right. So then what, what that uh, well, <clears throat> if I would understand what's going on there, bear in mind everyone didn't have their Bible. you would be, lo- be good to have one Bible for the whole church. Um, so. It was a, you know, the Christian devotions would look different. Um, Desire spiritual gifts, rather you may prophesy. Right here in this passage, if, verse 30, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. Um, So if you see what's happening there, somebody is prophesying. And then while he's prophesying, God gives a revelation to another brother right there in real time. Not just an idea popped into his head, but the Holy Spirit communicates, right? And we have some examples in the book of Acts what this looks like and what it doesn't look like. So, stay with me, brethren, and go in your memory with this. When Peter was speaking, while he was yet speaking to Cornelius and his household, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they spoke with tongues. And Peter, when he is recounting this experience, said to the brethren, Then I remembered the words of the Lord Jesus. How that he said, you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So that was a human function of his memory. It was accurate. It was the right application of scripture. It was what was happening. But it was entirely human. He remembered. He said, then I remembered. Now think about before he went to speak to Cornelius. While he, he, first of all, he was hungry. So carnal. And he was going to stop his prayer to go and eat. So don't beat yourself up. I mean, I'm not saying don't push through that. But the apostle got hungry enough that he was going to stop praying to go and eat. Um, and he's still an apostle and God used him greatly. So there's a time to push past it. But don't, don't beat yourself up on that. But while he is praying... God gave him a supernatural revelation, a vision from heaven with a sheep. He wasn't just sitting there, what would it look like if a sheep came down from heaven? That's, you can create that in your mind. It's not wrong to do it necessarily, right? When you read in Revelation, he describes this, you're trying to picture it in your mind. That's a natural human function of the brain. But that's not what happened. God, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, imposed on Peter's consciousness a vision. And then, while he's, when that vision was finished, Peter's thinking about it. So these are two different things. God gave him a vision, and now he, the man, is thinking about it. And while he's thinking about it, the Holy Spirit said, Three men are looking for you downstairs. Go with them. Nothing doubting, because I've sent them. So you've had a vision, you've had thought, and you've had the Holy Spirit speak to him. On the day of Pentecost, he, was the, he just spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance. So he's not thinking, oh, I've heard Chinese before. He's just, it's just a flow. Now, that mechanism by speaking with tongues is the same mechanism by which prophecy would be described in chapter 14 here. Something's revealed, um, not, not exclusively, but that's the kind of thing. It's similar to tongues in how it functions. It can also be a deposit, like a word, but it's done supernaturally. It's not a result of study. It's a result of revelation. It's something that the Spirit of God like gives you a packet in your spirit, so to speak, a bundle, and you speak it. Or the Spirit of God just gives you utterance moment by moment in real time and you speak it. And you're learning while you're speaking because you didn't know any of this before. Both of those—that's prophecy. So we're just desire, all men to desire that to be prop. Because it's the word of God. That's what's important. It's not the experience. Wow, that feels neat. It's the word of God. That's the point. And it would be hard for them to all have. They didn't all have a Bible to study. It was more necessary for that for the Word of God to come that way because very few of them had a Bible. Whereas now that we all have Bibles, it would be more common to have a Word that is a result of fellowshipping with the Lord while we study the Scripture. It doesn't make it um, less spiritual. It's only less spiritual if we're doing it in the flesh rather than the Spirit. But it's the Word of God coming forth that's the point. So, in our context, where everyone has a Bible and you're reading the Bible and the Lord impresses something on your heart and you bring that to share, that's beautiful. Do it. Amen. So, and what's the direction for church life? So, it says that we follow after charity. So, that's number one. Yes. And while we're following after charity, we're to desire spiritual gifts. Yes. But rather than being a prophet. Okay, so I'm following your thought. That's. very good, very good. So we, are we following Dave here? He's saying, what should we be seeking after then and looking like? Should we be trying to have the Lord just speak to us through us supernaturally? I would suggest, uh, I would say, that the key that we're aiming at is edification and the Word of God. And the specific manifestation of that, let God choose. So that we don't get stuck with this preconception that unless it happens this way, God's not moving. Notice the power of prophecy, right? It's the spirit of Christ that if someone comes in, so let's take your word, which is why I say it can be prophecy, and it can be prophecy without us realizing it. So if it, because, this is the key thing, it needs to be of the spirit of God, not just, man, i got to come up with something. So. Right? So that's the wrong way. But if, as we're seeking the Lord there can be either a gradual or a sudden filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the point. We want to be filled with the Spirit, gradually or suddenly. That's the path. And so we want our speaking to be of the Holy Ghost, whether it is as the result of study or spontaneous revelation in the meeting. But look at Paul's example. If there come in, one, unlearned or unbelieving, and we are all off in our own zone, okay? so he's got sin in his life. Um, he's a gambling addict. And he has made this deal with God. I'm just making something up. Paul made something up, right? If they're coming one That if you expose my sin, then I will, uh, I will repent and believe in you. I don't think this religion is real. It's a bunch of poppycock, right? And, <clears throat> so, and he has a particular type of gambling that's not common. He's betting on horses, right? Now, <clears throat> He comes in and we're all just, you know, full of ourselves and trying to show off our Bible. I was reading in Job and this and, and you know, I saw something about dinosaurs there. And, and we're just all over the map like that. And he comes and goes and thinks, yeah, whatever, right? But let's go with the same mechanism. I was reading in the Word here and uh, it was talking about covetousness. And what the Lord showed me about covetousness was it was more than just um, just uh, um, looking at your neighbor's house and wishing your house was at night. Nice. This uh, lottery tickets are a result of covetousness. And in fact, all gambling, I mean, horse racing, is a result of... Co- Do you think that man is going to be like, boom? Like, why would he... And then... Okay, so another brother, well, when he sits down, he comes up, you know, (laughs) um, I was looking at a passage this week uh, uh, about the chariots. And, and, And it's like brother after brother, and this man is just getting, like, what are the odds that eight people shared and each one of them somehow dealt with his gambling addiction, his practice and sin. Wouldn't he now, and he's made this bargain with God, don't you think he'd be convinced? What are the odds that these people are just all on their own coming out and they're exposing what's in my heart? You know, maybe he was um, thinking about committing adultery, and this one comes in with that, and just every sin in his life gets exposed. By brethren who have been in fellowship with Christ in His Word, and that union with Christ, uh, mind and thought and affections are all leading them in that way. So I think that would um, be a manifestation. But it could also be, could also be, we are all uh, singing and worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, and while we're singing and 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 we might have a, a, a moment of quiet and praise and and um somebody just expresses individual you know praise to god about how you saved me from addiction and so on and and uh, and gambling and and then someone over here you know um the lord just gave me a word that there's somebody here with a gambling addiction of horses and you need to repent because if you don't god and, Can you imagine that? He would fall on his face and worship God, right? Because the secrets of his heart have been exposed by a God that knows. And so whether God has orchestrated through people that are earnestly seeking him um, the uh, content through reading the scripture or whether it is given through revelation in the moment, It's all of God, and it's going to happen that way only when His people are given to Him. And on the day of Pentecost, they were all baptized into the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit into Jesus Christ, and the gifts were manifest suddenly, dramatically. But I believe that believers can grow. And we can take, as we pursue Christ, he can manifest more and more of himself among us, individually and collectively. And the specifics of the manifestation we don't need to torture ourselves with. We can trust God for those. But what we want is to have the word of God, not just our clever applications of it, but the word of God in our midst. And we want, all of us want to be vessels, um, long or short, But we all want to be vessels of the Word of God. That would be how I would see us responding to that. Does that answer the question, Brooke? All right. Uh, All right. Well, do we have time? I mean, we are at, wowee, we're we're approaching five. Can we, yes, why don't we? um, That's a problem with our casual approach to start time is it becomes a casual approach to finish time as well. And some might be... uh, Having supper and wanting supper, or have other commitments. Brother Jake, would you like to stand and pray and commit us to the Lord and dismiss us with God's blessing? Amen. Thanks, brother, for that.